Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. So, uh, yeah, uh, I want to introduce myself. I get to serve on the teaching team and um, teach regularly, kind of a privilege to do so. And uh, we are continuing. We've been in this, uh, this ancient biography of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, written by a man named Mark. And we're going to continue. We call it Stronger. And we're continuing this series today and hope you've been enjoying uh, feeling challenged, encouraged by our time in Mark and reading Mark on your own. Um, today, so today I want to spend some time talking about the structure of the book of Mark as a whole. I find this stuff fascinating. I think it'll illuminate the particular uh, account that we're going to look at in a little bit. And I hope you find it interesting too, but we're gonna, that's what we're going to do. So um, the book of Mark, let me talk a little about the, the overall structure. So Mark, uh, as, a, as a work on the life of Jesus, you can break it into kind of three parts. And here's the thing, like these ancient, you know, in, in Mark's day, 2,000 years ago, when an author was writing something, they didn't have table of contents or chapter headings or uh, an index. They, they would alert the reader to the structure of their work through things like geography, um, key phrases, vocabulary. That was, that was how they told the reader the structure. And Mark, you can kind of break it into three sections. And uh, they're, they're geographical is a way to break it down. So the first section takes place in the Galilee region. And I think we have a map. So the Galilee region is up north in the land of Palestine, Israel, and uh, Nazareth where Jesus grew up, Capernaum where he did a lot of his ministry. This is kind of the first section. Um, it goes kind of 1-1 one, one, one through 8-21 uh, or so. And the, the, these opening chapters, they focus in on the mighty deeds... And mighty words of Jesus. So we've done a number of teachings on accounts from this, uh, from this section. Uh, these, a lot of these kind of powerful deeds, uh, you know, the calming of the storm and healings and these kind of things are taking place here. And for an ancient, uh, for, for a first century Jewish person, they would, they would have in the back of their mind that the story of the Exodus, when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt through mighty deeds, mighty he rescued them. And now we have this Messiah, this agent of the living God here doing mighty deeds, rescuing people. And so this is kind of how the, 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 the story of Mark begins. And then there's this final third of the book, 11, 1 through 16, 8. And this final third takes place in Jerusalem. And I think, yep, there, there we go. Jerusalem highlighted on the map up there. And this, uh, it, this, the, these chap, the final third of the book focuses on the last week of Jesus' life. The last week. And the, all this focus is there because Mark really wants to explain to us about Jesus' death and resurrection. This is key to understanding who Jesus was. And so this final, this final third um, is about his death and resurrection. But the middle third is where we're going to be at today. In the middle third, people often refer to it as the way section. And because literally, physically, Jesus is on the way. <laughs> he's, he's physically on the way from this Galilee. To, he's headed to Jerusalem, to his death and resurrection. And in fact, in this way section, seven times the phrase on the way 
is in the way section. I mean, Mark's saying this is the way section. This is how he alerts his reader, the middle section. It's on the way. But Mark does this. He, uh, he's a sophisticated storyteller. He does this double meaning thing in the way section because literally Jesus is physically on the way, but it's in this way section when you don't get as many mighty deeds, you don't get these miracles and that kind of thing in this section. What you get is a lot of teaching about the way of Jesus. So he's physically on the way, but he's teaching about this is my way. And, what, and if I had to summarize it, what we see here is, um, is he saying the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Through this way section, he's literally on the way and he's, um, he's teaching about his way. And the point that he's trying to convey is my way is the way of the cross. My way is the way of not conquering others, but giving up my life for the sake of others. My way is, is leaders serving those who are lower than them. My way is paying attention to the vulnerable, to children, and those, those, those who are oppressed and marginalized. My way is the way of sacrificial. My way is the way of dying to yourself for the, for the sake of God and for the sake of his image bearers. This is my way. And he's trying to teach people his way. In fact, it's in this way section that we get... The three, three times he tells his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen there is I'm going to be betrayed and executed. And I'm going to rise from the dead. Three times he tells, he, he says, my cross is coming, but I will defeat death. So he's saying the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. But interestingly, in this way section, there's this sub-theme because he's saying, my way is the way of the cross. But he's, you know, he's saying, this, this is what the Messiah does. I, go, I come to die. I come to die. I come to die. And there's this sub-theme of the disciples' blindness. Because he's saying this and they're like, huh? What? We don't get it. That doesn't make sense. So there, there's this sub-theme through, running through this whole section of the disciples' blindness. And um, it's, it's so interesting that even, like, the, the, they just don't get the way of Jesus. And, and Mark, the way he structures this whole account, he does this to, to bring this out and make it obvious. So, for example, right here at the beginning of, right here at the beginning of the way section, there's this encounter with Peter. Uh, and if you've read through the book of Mark before, you, you'll be familiar with the story where, where Peter, where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they, they give all these answers, and then Peter says, but I know you are the Messiah. You, you recognize that? Yeah. He says, I know you're the Messiah. And then Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to die for the sake of my people. And then what does Peter say? No, you can't do that. No, yeah, you're Jesus. You're wrong. He says, no, that's not, what, that's not what kings do. That's not what messiahs do. They conquer people and destroy people. They don't die for others. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me. You don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of humans, right? So, so Peter halfway sees who Jesus is, the Messiah, but doesn't see. He's blind to the fact that the Messiah means he's going to die. Now catch this. So this happens with Peter. And you know what Mark does, what story he puts right next to that? He puts the first account of a blind man being healed 
in the book of Mark. And it's so interesting. So Peter saw halfway who Jesus was, but not the whole way. And in this blind man account, it's this account of Jesus meets this blind man and he touches him once and says, I'm going to, you know, basically I'm going to heal you so you can see. And then you know what happens? The blind man says, oh, it didn't, um, you know, it didn't take totally. Things are kind of blurry. Right? Has anybody noticed that before? It's like Jesus has to recharge, like, okay, try again. Right? So, okay, but like this is, think about, this is masterful storytelling. He puts, Peter halfway sees who Jesus is, and right next to that, Mark puts a story of a a man who needs two touches to truly, he only can halfway see. He said, this is a, a, a living image of the disciples' blindness. And so this is how the way section starts, disciples blind the way of Jesus. And right at the end of this section, we get this story of James and John. And um, James and John, they're headed toward Jerusalem. And James and John kind of sidle up next to Jesus. And they, you know, they say, uh, Jesus, we know you're the Messiah. And um, you're going to conquer everyone. And you'll, you're going to have the biggest throne with all the bling and the flash. And we know that. But could we have like the next biggest thrones next to you? Right? That's what they ask. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. Me, the Messiah has not come to conquer and have the biggest throne. I have come to give my life for even my enemies. So it starts with the disciples being blind to the way of Jesus. It ends with the disciples being blind. And then guess what story Mark puts right next to that? A story of a blind man. Only two, there's only two stories of blind people getting healed in Mark. And it, and it starts the way section and ends the way section. And it's because there are these living pictures, these living pictures of the disciples' blindness to the way of Jesus. And we're going to look at this second story today. But, it's, it's, and, but Mark's trying to tell us Jesus is stronger than our blindness about his way. And maybe you hear that and you think, okay, what, what does it mean that he's stronger than our blindness about his way? For me, those who claim the name of Jesus and act and live blindly to his way, has, it's been one of the most demoralizing things in my walk with Jesus over the years. The way of Jesus is a way of sacrifice for others, of putting Jesus and others above oneself, of taking the lowest position. And it, when, when, those claim, when people claim the name of Jesus and are blind about his way, it's demoralizing. When, 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 when we see pastors and ministry leaders ignoring sexual misconduct or using power for their own self-aggrandizement of getting ahead. That's, it's demoralizing. When churches preach health and wealth and ignore all the things Jesus had to say about the poor and impoverished, it's demoralizing. When the church fails to stand up and stand with people of color crying out in pain, when we fail to pursue racial reconciliation the way we ought to, it's it's demoralizing. Like when 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 we use, when we lust after political power as a church. Like, we are at our best when we're giving ourselves away for the sake of the world, not when we're grasping after political power. When, when we fail, when we're blind to the way of Jesus. If you've ever been hurt by somebody under the name of, of, of Christ, they claim to be 
a Jesus person, they deeply hurt you, or you see them hurting one another, like it, 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 it's, it's hurtful, it's hard. When we are blind to the way of Jesus, and I even see it, like I see it in myself, I, it's not just out there, right? Because Jesus always says, well, what's in here? And when I look in my own heart, I find blindness to the way of Jesus. I have spent the greater part of my educational and vocational life studying the words of Jesus. And I find in my own heart blindness to his way. I spent years and years and years studying these things. And then I have trouble sacrificing my own wants and desires for the sake of my kids or my wife or my friends, or just being able to get the words, I'm sorry, it's my fault, out of my mouth. And Mark is telling this story in a way to say that Jesus is stronger than our blindness about his way. And it's good news. So I want to look at this, the second story of the second blind man and that kind of culminates the way section. I want to zoom in on that with you for a moment because I think it kind of pulls in all these themes from this section today. So uh, we're going to be in Mark 10, 46. This is where we'll spend uh, the rest of our morning. Uh, Mark is after Matthew. It's way to the right in the New Testament. It's um, after Matthew. It's before Luke, if you want to follow along in your Bible. It's about this man um, by the name of Bartimaeus. And I love this story. This is, I mean, I love the whole book of Mark, but this is just a phenomenal story about Jesus meeting this man. So um, I'm excited to walk through this with you. So Mark 10, 46. Uh, This is how it becomes. Then, so they're on the way, right? On the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then it says, then they came to Jericho. Here's a map. You see Jericho, see where the red arrow's pointing? It's right there. You cross the Jordan River, you hit Jericho, and then you head up into the hills towards Jerusalem. Now, the name Jesus in Hebrew would be pronounced Yeshua, which could, often, could also be translated Joshua. So where have we seen Joshua leading, leading the people in the rescue of God through Jericho up into the promised land? Does that ring any bells to anybody? Yeah, this is the new rest, the new exodus of God taking place here. So um, then they come to Jericho. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, there would have been all, they're headed towards this Passover festival, all these pilgrims on the way to the Passover festival. When they were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Okay, so that phrase, by the roadside. Can anyone guess what that literally says, by the roadside? By the way. Exactly. It's this section. Mark's doing something here. He said, here's a blind beggar, impoverished blind beggar who can't see, who's not on the way. He's not walking on the way. He's by the way. He's off the way. He's watching the way go by. This blind beggar. And then we're told his name is Bartimaeus. The name Bartimaeus means something like son of uncleanness, which... I don't know why you name your child that, son of unclean. There's been, now there's been moments when I might have wanted to say something like, you're child of uncleanness, yeah. But, um, but I wouldn't name my child that, yeah. So, but son of uncleanness. Uh, so, but, but it's so interesting, we're given his name, 
right? There's a lot of accounts in Scripture where we're not told a proper name of the individual. Why are we told Bartimaeus' name? Most likely, it's because Bartimaeus was still alive and active in the Jesus community when Mark recorded these accounts. You, 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 there's no footnotes or endnotes in, in the Gospels, right? There's no, how do you footnote something? You put Bartimaeus. What, what's, my, what's my source? Well, Bartimaeus. Go talk to Bartimaeus if you want to hear it firsthand. He is, that's the footnote. Bartimaeus is the one who uh, was the eyewitness. Well, he lived through this account. So Bartimaeus is there. So now, um, where we're, verse uh, 47. So when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. <laughs> Don't you like Bartimaeus? <laughs> they rebuked him. And they, they, he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't tell me to be quiet. Have mercy on me. And the word mercy... So this is Mark's written in Greek. Bartimaeus probably would have spoken Aramaic or Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word for mercy is chesed. Has anyone heard the word chesed before? The word chesed is the, it's the Hebrew word for compassion in the Hebrew scriptures. In the Old Testament, the, the compassion of God is described as the chesed of God. The, or, or it could also be translated as the, the faithful promise-keeping love of God is the chesed of God. The, the compassionate, faithful, promise-keeping love of God is, is the, the chesed of God. And here's Bartimaeus. He says, he says, he says uh, Jesus, have chesed on me. Show me your compassion. Show me your faithful, promise-keeping love. Have chesed on me, Jesus. And he's crying out. It's often in the Hebrew scriptures applied to, to the God of Israel that he is the one who has chesed. And in the, in the book of Mark, only one person is ever described by Mark as, as um, being a person of chesed. And can you guess who is the one person who expresses chesed in the story of Mark? Jesus. Mark's doing something here. Jesus is the one who demonstrates chesed. All right, so picking up in verse uh, 49. Jesus stopped. And said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. It's the... This story, I mean, this story is a picture of the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of the most powerful person in the middle of the crowd. I mean, at this point, Jesus, he's bigger than the Beatles. And the most powerful person in the crowd stopping everything to listen and pay attention to the most powerless person in the crowd. And the very, the very crowd who said, be quiet, Bartimaeus, shut your mouth. Jesus says, call him over to me. I want to listen to him. This is the way of Jesus. And he, and he calls him, calls him over. And, uh, and, and it says that Bartimaeus, it th- he throws his cloak aside. Now, you're a, a, 
you're, you're a, a, a blind beggar in Jericho in the first century A.D. How many articles of clothing do you have? Two, right? You have your cloak and then you have your inner tunic, right? So, so he's got this cloak. Now what, for, for Bartimaeus, what is your, what is your cloak serve as? Blanket? Tent? Security, you keep your money in it, you keep your stuff in it. What else does your cloak serve as? Covering? Safety? Shade from the sun? Shelter? Your portable home? Right? His cloak. This is, it's his identity. It's his sense of safety, his sense of security, his sense of control. This cloak is very important to Bartimaeus. And he throws it aside for the chance to talk with Jesus. Think just last week, there, in the same chapter, there's a story of a rich young man. Christian talked about it just last week. And the rich young man, this, this wealthy, influential young man, runs up and says, Jesus, I want to be your follower. And, um, and what does the rich young man end up saying? He says, I can't. Jesus says, you're going to have to leave all your attachment to your stuff. And the rich young man says, I can't do that for your sake. Jesus, I can't let go of this stuff. And then right next to that story of this rich young man who won't let go of his stuff for the sake of Jesus, we come to this blind beggar who throws aside his most valuable possession just for the chance to speak with Jesus. He throws it aside and he runs over. Verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And this, I, this is a powerful question. And this will be a question that I, I encourage us to reflect on this week. But it's a question that I think it's good for all of us to... to, to if, Jesus, if Jesus showed up and sat down next to you and said to you, What do you want me to do for you? How would you respond to him? What do you want me to do for you? And maybe, and maybe you hear that and you think, well, isn't it obvious what this blind... I mean, he's blind. Isn't it, is, shouldn't, isn't it just obvious he would want to be healed? I don't think... I don't think it's as straightforward as that. Because in my, in my own experience, it's not uncommon... For me to be more comfortable in the dysfunction and unhealth that I know than to step into the danger of changing. And here's Bartimaeus. And and he, he knows what it means to be a beggar in Jericho. He knows that life. It's known. And yeah, it's not, it's, not the, it's, not a, it's not a great life. He's a blind beggar. But it was a, it was, he was a known way of life. In, in uh, first century Jewish culture, Jewish men and women knew that it was an obligation to give alms to the poor. And so he had a way of making it in the world. He regularly would receive alms from these people. Jericho was a wealthy city. There would have been people to give alms. At, in fact, at this point, all these pilgrims are going to Passover, the largest religious festival in the nation. This is Bartimaeus's most lucrative time of year. 
right? Like he knows this way of life. This is, I'm a blind beggar. This is how I make it in the world. And so this question, what do you want me to do for you? I don't think it's a a question. Do you want to step into a different life? Because if he's not blind anymore, then what does he do? How does he make it in the world? Oftentimes, in my own life, I find the safety of staying in my own unhealth, my own sin or dysfunction, that feels safer than the unknown of having the conversation, of saying sorry, of being honest, of bringing up the topic. Bartimaeus makes the courageous choice. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. In verse 52, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And can you, and just imagine, what is the first thing Bartimaeus saw? After years of being told, close your mouth, stay on the side of the road. What's the first thing that he sees? He sees the face of Jesus. And he says, immediately he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus along the, and what word do you think actually occurs there? Along the way. You've just had this whole section all about the way of Jesus is the way of service and sacrificial love, the way of the Messiah giving his life for others. And you have this whole section about the disciples are blind and they don't see it and they don't get it. And you end, you end this whole section with a blind man being given his sight, throwing, along, throwing aside everything to follow Jesus along the way. Jesus is stronger than our blindness about his way. And it's good news. I think about these places that we might need to cry out for the mercy, the chesed of Jesus. Maybe a question for us to reflect on this morning and this week would be, where do you need to cry out for the chesed of Jesus? Where do you need to cry out for the mercy of Jesus? Um, You know, I I started by talking about those places that it can be so so demoralizing when those under the name of Jesus uh, are blind to his way and don't live out his way. And I, and I just wonder, you know, we, live, we are aware that we live in an age of extremely divisive politics that infect and come into the church in all sorts of ways. And it's easy to get caught up and start name-calling and pointing fingers. And what would it look like for our initial posture when, when, we see, when we see the church not living out, walking in the way of Jesus, when we see the church lusting after power, or ignoring those on the margin, what would it look like for our initial posture to be people who cry out for the chesed of Jesus? We're blind in ways we don't even know Jesus. Would you have mercy on us? Not to, not to begin to fix it right away, or change, or, but just our first instinct would be to cry out for the chesed of Jesus. There's things we failed. I mentioned race earlier. There's places we failed 
Well, Jesus, will you have mercy on us? We need your help. I think about those in this room who are influencers. We have a lot of leaders in this room. And the reality is our world needs people of influence who are convinced that the way of Jesus is the way to exercise influence. That, get, that is life-giving. Like we, we need teachers and captains of volleyball teams and basketball teams. We need doctors. We need business owners. We need managers. We need small group leaders. We need parents who are convinced that the way of Jesus is the way to exercise influence. We need, it's, that is what gives life to others. That, that people would say of, of Jesus' followers, they'd say, you know, you know her? She, she leads this thing? You know her? She's not weak. She's not, you can't walk over. She's strong. She knows what she's about, but she cares. And it is not about her. And there's this one time that, that all this stuff was happening and she was at the center of things and we needed to keep moving, but she put the whole thing on pause just to listen to the one person the rest of us forgot. We need people who exercise that. That is, gives life to others. People are convinced that the way of Jesus is the way to exercise influence. And maybe, maybe a, a last question uh, that we could reflect on this week is just this question of what do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you, do you want to be well? Because I, like I said earlier, there's places, sometimes we get in these places of, of unhealth, of sin, of dysfunction, of, of, of conflict in friendships, in our marriage, in our family. Things just aren't right. Things in our own heart that we, we know are not correct. But there's this there's this natural temptation that it's, it's safer and easier to stay the same than to take the steps of bringing the topic up, having the conversation, talking about it, saying, I'm sorry. And maybe this morning you have this sense of Jesus coming and saying, what do you want me to do for you? Because I'm ready to give you sight and lead you on my way if you're ready to ask for mercy. Jesus, it is good news. He is the stronger one. He will find and make followers who see him as the mercy giver and see themselves as mercy receivers. He's stronger than our spiritual blindness. So the two questions, I'd encourage you, um, as the the worship team, you guys can come on up now, but the, the two questions this week, where do you want to cry out for the hesed of Jesus? And if Jesus said to you, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer him? A lot of us take notes to reflect on these teachings throughout the week in our own time in our small group. And those would be the two questions I'd encourage you to write down and spend some time with uh, this week. And so, thanks guys. Oh, there you are. You're hiding back there. It's good to see you. So as we, as we head back in worship, I want to... Um, I want to read this prophecy um, by the prophet Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus, and allow this to kind of conclude our time together and have the account that we just talked about in the back of your mind. Isaiah is, Isaiah is prophesying, he's talking about the coming rescue of God of his people. And this is the language he uses. Isaiah 35. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. 
Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it because they will be made clean. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion, that is Jerusalem, with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. He is stronger. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.